Our second reading this morning comes from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 19. I'm going to read verses 11 through 20, which are provided for you there in your bulletins. Hear the word of God. God used Paul to do some very special miracles. Some people carried away handkerchiefs and clothes that Paul had used and put them on those who were sick. The sick people were healed and evil spirits left them. Some Jews also were traveling around forcing evil spirits out of people. The seven sons of Sceva, one of the leading priests, were doing this. These Jews tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus to make the evil spirits go out of people. They all said, by the same Jesus that Paul talks about, I order you to come out. But one time, an evil spirit said to these Jews, I know Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit inside him jumped on these Jews. He was much stronger than all of them. He beat them up and tore their clothes off. They all ran away from that house. All the people in Ephesus, Jews and Greeks, learned about this. They were all filled with fear and gave great honor to the Lord Jesus. Many of the believers began to confess, telling about the evil things they had done. Some of them had used magic. These believers brought their magic books and burned them before everyone. These books were worth about 50,000 silver coins. This is how the word of the Lord was spreading in a powerful way, causing more and more people to believe. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Almighty God, you are the maker of heaven and earth and you are the maker of us. You have formed us in your own image and you have called us by your name. You've called us to gather here this day. You have made known to us the saving work of Jesus Christ in our lives. And so we respond to your invitation. We gather here joyfully, expectantly. We gather here to sing your praises and to offer our prayers up to you. We also gather here to listen to your word proclaimed. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be present in the midst of the proclamation of your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would bring to life these ancient words that lie on the page. Father God, our hope is in you alone. Our life is in you alone. For some reason or other, we imagine ourselves to be independent of you, that we imagine ourselves to not need you. And so often times we find ourselves in conflict with you, our will with your will. Lord, we ask for relief from self-will. We pray that we would rest in your will alone. Lord, we know from experience and from your word that when we live according to your will, we in fact live more fulfilled and more satisfied. And yet, Something in our nature calls us away from that time and time again. And we pray uh, your mercy and your forgiveness. We pray that you would continue to uh, persist with us and keep after us. 
We pray this day as we gather as your people that we would be united as the body of Christ, that we would not only be joined to you, but that we would be joined one to another, that that bond of fellowship would be rich and true and deep. I pray that we would uh, love the body of Christ and that we would love one another even as we love you. Lord, we pray this day for those of our numbers who are unable to be in worship uh, because of sickness or separation. We ask that you would be present to them each in their own homes. I pray that the fellowship of the saints would uh, remain tight and true in spite of the separation. Lord, for those who uh, are in need this day, we pray that you would provide. For those who are sick, we pray that you would heal. For those who are afraid, Lord, we pray that you would give them comfort and assurance. And for those who are still outside of the fold, we pray that you would call them in and that they would know you as Lord and Savior. Lord Jesus, we offer all of these prayers to you, knowing that you are a God who desires the prayers of his people. You are a God who desires to be in a relationship with us, and so we talk to you this day. We pray all of these prayers in faith and in hope, and we pray them in the name of Jesus, who taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. So in the uh, first service this morning, we actually met outside. It was the first time we've done an outside service since I've been here. It was, it was good. The weather, the weather cooperated. The sound was good. Uh, it was also an, an opportunity for, for some people who, uh, you know, have been particularly scary about the COVID to come out and to be with the body, but be out into fresh air where they felt safer. And so we saw some faces that we hadn't seen in, in a very long time. And that was that was a sweet experience. Uh, John Haynes, who uh, drives this uh, music in the early service, that was his idea. And the session went along with it. And so it looks like we're going to do that uh, once a month. We'll, we'll gather outdoors. Um, eh, if the weather's really bad, we'll, we'll beat a hasty retreat and, and come back into the sanctuary. Uh, here, uh, in the sanctuary, uh, last week, I guess that was Wednesday, Thursday, the graduation ceremony happened for Valley Christian School. Uh, that was supposed to happen outside. We had an even bigger tent out there to accommodate all the families, but the weather was so miserable. We were very happy to be in here, uh, in the air conditioning. Um, and so, the largest class, or a tie for the largest class that Valley Christian School has had, uh, graduated three of our own uh, uh, students, three of our own members here at the church graduated, and so that was a, a great and a joyous occasion. In uh, the early service, we were able to uh, salute each of those students individually. We also uh, had to say goodbye uh, to uh, the Fluter family. Uh, who after 20 years in this congregation uh, are moving on. Uh, Seth Fluter has taken a position that 
requires him to move up into New England, and he's been holding off on that move, and so uh, pretty soon they're going to be heading out, and so we wanted to be able to uh, say goodbye to them. Uh, one of the things that I appreciate about this church are long-term uh, relationships, uh, people who come here and make this their family and their home and uh, and spend years and decades here. And the Fluters, I mean, those of you who know Seth Fluter, you know that he looks like he's about 20 years old. He's not 20 years old. He, he, he looked that young when I met him 20 or, you know, 16 years ago. Um, but, you know, more than half of his life has been spent here in, in, in this congregation and his children were raised in this congregation and, and I like that about this church that this is a place where people have long-term relationships. We also uh, tipped our hat and said goodbye uh, to Susan Kaler who um, has been working for Valley Christian School for I think it's 27 years or some, something like that. 1993 she arrived here. You can do the math. That's a long time. Uh, Mrs. Kaler, uh, first came to this school, uh, uh, as a parent and brought her own two children and enrolled them, uh, in the school. And uh, it turned out they were looking for a fifth grade teacher. And so she signed up to teach fifth grade. And then six years later in 1999, Pastor, uh, Doug Hookie said, uh, uh, you're going to be the new head of school because the previous head of school, the first head of school, Sue Lind, was retiring. And so in 1999, she stepped into that role. And then for more than 20 years, she has led that large and complicated uh, ministry. One of the things about uh, running Valley Christian School is is that it's, it's kind of an all-consuming job. And Susan Kaler... Uh, she went over and above uh, all of the time for many years. I mean, she is, you know, some people are, are very energetic, uh, and she is an energetic woman and always was pouring herself fully into the, into the work of the, of the school here. There are a lot of different ways uh, that I appreciated Susan and her service. Um, I've had opportunities and, and a couple of other occasions already in this past week to uh, to speak about those things, but one of the things that I'd like to mention here is how much of an evangelist she was. Now she's running a school, and so she's responsible for you know education and administration and all of that stuff. But she was remarkable in speaking the gospel clearly and understandably and challengingly into the lives of individual students and their families. And so there are many, many students who professed faith uh, in Christ first here at Valley Christian School. There are many, many families uh, who came to know Jesus because they were related to the school through their student and were ministered to um, by Susan Kaler. So she is retiring. Her husband is retiring this year uh, as well. I, I think they'll they will remain active in a hundred ways. These are not people who are going to you know prop their feet up and and have nothing to do. Um, but w- one of the things that uh, Susan's retirement has caused me to reflect upon is um, this reality that we only get a certain number of days. And that number of days was actually set before we were born. I mean, before the foundation of the earth, 
God knew us and he knew what our lives were going to be and he assigned a certain number of days to, to each one of us. And that makes each day of our life, first of all, it's not accidental. If you are alive, you're alive because God wants you to be alive. All right? When he's done, he'll let you lay down and rest. But as long as you're alive, there's something in the work of God's kingdom that you've been called to. So, first of all, each day has been numbered. Each day is with some purpose. God had some purpose in mind in your life. He He called you and he saved you, not only so that you could go to heaven and have a party for all of eternity. He called you and saved you so that you could be about the work of his kingdom here in this world. All right. So I want you to think about that. You know, since I was uh really a young person, I was always very conscious of the fleetingness of time. You know, I'm 13 years old and I'm worried about, you know, I don't have many years left. Okay. Uh so but as I've gotten older, I've also continued to realize, you know, there's there are certain years that are allotted to us. What are we going to do with them? What am I what am I going to do with with this day? And so Watching Susan Kaler's life has been a testimony to me of someone who is all of the time, full time engaged in the work of the kingdom. She's always at work in doing what it is that God has called her to do. Now in doing that, her life has also been very blessed. And in doing that, she can reflect on her life and think, yeah, this has been really good. This has been a good life. It's not that it's been an easy life. Running a school is a very difficult, uh, a very difficult thing. It's full of all kinds of troubles and all kinds of burdens and all kinds of conflicts and all kinds of long hours and all kinds of low pay. But she can reflect on her time here, her more than two decades here, and think, yeah, this was time well spent. This really did make an eternal difference in the lives of other people. So I would challenge each one of you to think today, and maybe each day, what is it that God has for you this day? If he wakes you up, there's something he has in mind for you. There's some piece of his kingdom work that he has assigned to you. And if you find that and are busy in it, well, first of all, you'll be a blessing to other people. But secondly, you'll come to the end of that day contented. Like this was a good day. There were things that I was able to do for other people. There were ways in which I was able to be a blessing to other people. And then the rest is sweet and our leisure is easy. So I would encourage you to think of your life in that way. Jesus said that uh, God has n- numbered the hairs on our head. Well, how inconsequential are the hairs on our head? And so certainly if he's numbered the hairs on, a, on your head, he's also numbered the days of your life. Let's use them each and every day to God's glory. What I want to do this uh, morning is uh, take a look at this passage uh, 
Acts 19, talk about it a little bit historically, but I, there's just really one point that I want to lift up in this passage. So if you would open that uh, there in your bulletins, uh, you can follow along with me and maybe um, what I'm saying might might make a little more sense to you if you have it there in front of you. So we are in the third missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. Paul is in uh, the city of Ephesus. He's going to be in this city for two full years. This is uh, the place where he stays the longest. Uh, all of you know the letter to the Ephesians. That will be a, a letter that he writes uh, to this church in later time after he's left the church. So this is a place where uh, he is very invested in a long-term ministry. Ephesus is also kind of a special place in the ancient world um, in terms of, of, of being a worship center. Okay, a worship center for other gods and other things. It was a place that had a Jewish population, so they had a synagogue there. And so naturally Paul began his preaching in the synagogue. At some point, Paul's preaching in the synagogue comes to an end. They're, they've had it, you know, we're, you know, we've already heard what you're going to say. We're not buying it. Um, and so then Paul moves um, to a, a kind of a public lecture hall where he, he rents the lecture hall and teaches there. Uh, every day. In verse 11 we read, God used Paul to do some very special miracles. Some people carried away handkerchiefs and cloths that Paul had used and put them on those who were sick and the sick people were healed and the evil spirits left them. Okay, this is a very kind of odd story. Okay, so uh, we're accustomed in the New Testament to have these accounts of healings. Jesus would heal people. Uh, he would lay hands on people. Uh, and uh, the apostles would heal people, lay hands on people, pray for people. And remarkable things would happen. Uh, uh, unbelievable diseases and, and uh, afflictions would be uh, resolved. Uh, dead people, in fact, would be uh, raised not resurrected, but raised at that point. Um, and so we're accustomed to that. But in, in this case, Paul's not even present. So he's got a handkerchief. I mean, maybe he used it to wipe his brow and somebody takes it off over to someone else who's sick some other place and puts the handkerchief on him and somehow the person is healed. I, I don't know what you think about this, Uh Except, you know, maybe you just need to wonder at the supernatural power that was going on in this place. Obviously, the faith of the person who's being healed is a piece of this. And yet God has chosen in this rather unusual and remarkable way to do a kind of a second-hand miracle. The mere cloth that touched Paul then is involved in the healing of, of other people. One of the things that's important to recognize is that in the New Testament, all of the miracles are there to draw attention to the message that's being preached and not to the miracle itself. The function of the miracle is not to draw attention to the miracle, to the healing, to the feeding of the 5,000, to the calming of the storm. It's not about that, but those things are a sign pointing to something else. And that something else is the Word of God, 
It's the preaching of the apostles. It's Jesus himself. Okay? So, they're, they're called signs. Signs and wonders. Okay? These are the New Testament uh, words for these miracles. But a sign doesn't point to itself. A sign's pointing to something else. If I have a big sign with an arrow on it that says, Jesus, this way, and I spend all my time looking at the sign, I'm missing the purpose of the sign. I need to turn my attention to wherever Jesus might be. And so the miracles are not the point of the story. The miracles are simply redirecting our attention to something else that's going on. Now, sometimes miracles are so wondrous that they can be distracting. First time I went to Las Vegas. Actually, it's the only time I went. No. Yeah, the first time I went to Las Vegas. Raise your hand if you've been to Las Vegas. Okay. It's a crazy place. So I, you know, I land in the airport and you get a rental car and you go drive and my hotel was on the strip and the strip is gaudy, of course. You've all seen pictures of it and it's got billboards, but the billboards are billboard sized televisions, which is like very distracting. Okay. I mean, they're so, I mean, I guess if you live there, you're used to them. But for me, the first time, I mean, like, you know, there's, there's something that's 50 feet across and it's moving and I don't know, like, like dragons are flying through the air and all kinds of things that are designed to attract your attention. I think these miracles that were going on were wondrous in this same way. I thought I was going to wreck my car. The sign was so distracting. We need to be careful about the miracles that we're not looking at the miracles rather than the thing that it's being pointed, that's being pointed to. When Jesus healed people, he wasn't healing them simply because he was a nice guy and sympathetic. All oh, these poor people are suffering. Let me heal them. Because if that had been Jesus' motivation, he would have just had like a, you know, a blanket healing. Okay, everybody's healed. All of, all of Jerusalem is healed. He could have done that. He doesn't. He heals individuals in certain circumstances and the healing draws, or supposed to draw our attention to the message. Why is the message more important than the healing? If you are lame or blind, why is the message of the gospel more important than having your legs healed or your eyes healed? Well, because you're going to die anyway. And if you haven't heard the gospel, you'll die and you'll go to hell. Great. You get your eyes healed, but you go to hell. What good does that do you? All right. So the healing of your body is not the, the end game. It's not what it's all about. Okay, it's the healing of your relationship with Christ, which is what's important here. And so the sign points to the message who is Jesus himself. Paul is, Paul is doing, uh, very special miracles here in Ephesus and people are taking notice of the miracles. Let's hope some of them are also taking notice of the message. Let's take a look at verse 13 and 14. Some Jews also were traveling around forcing evil spirits out of people. The seven sons of Sceva, who was one of the leading priests, was were doing this. The, these Jews tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus to make the evil spirits go out of people. They all said by the same Jesus that Paul talks about, I order you to come out. Okay, so these are healers. They're faith healers. 
They're non-Christian faith healers. And they're doing good things. I mean, you know, healing people of diseases and casting out demons is a, a, is a nice kind of thing to do for people. And they see that Paul is, uh, performing these kinds of miracles in the name of Jesus. And so they figure, oh, well, the name of Jesus, that's the secret. That's the, that's the, the magical phrase. Let me utter, you know, in the name of Jesus, be cast out. And then this very, I find the scene very amusing. They come upon one guy who's got a devil in him. And of course the devil knows Jesus. <laughs> Devil's met Jesus, right? Jesus has his foot on the head of the devil. And this devil says to these sons of Sceva, I, I know Jesus and I've heard about Paul, but who are you? And then he proceeds to beat the living daylights out of these seven sons of Sceva. This is a great story. All right. This is an important story. This is a story about somebody trying to make Jesus into their servant boy. Somebody trying to make Jesus a means to their end. Now the end is a good end. Look, they're trying to alleviate suffering. Okay, they're, they're trying to eliminate disease, maybe mental illness, and they're going to speak the name of Jesus. But these are people who don't even know Jesus, don't have a relationship with Jesus, but are using his name as a kind of magical, magical incantation. And it doesn't work. And the devil overpowers them. Now, I want us to hear this message, not because... I'm concerned that you're going to be casting out devils. But because I'm concerned when people think that they can use God or the church or Jesus or the Bible as a means to their other end. Okay? There are non-Christian people who sometimes accuse Christians of simply being primitive, uh, as believing in magic. Uh, they don't, they misunderstand the relationship between magic and faith, uh, because they see this power that both of them somehow involve. But biblical religion always subordinates, uh, the power of God to the will of God and not to the will of man. So in magic, if I say the right formula, abracadabra, alakazam, certain things are supposed to happen. The sons of Sceva have used the name of Jesus as a magical formula. In the name of Jesus, be gone, or something like that. All right? Jesus is not a genie. Jesus is not a spirit under your control. And if you try to do that, you are, you're, you're looking for trouble. Biblical religion has always been different from magic because the biblical religion is always about the glory of God. What do the sons of Sceva want? Well, what they want is power over nature, over spirits. They see that Paul has a certain kind of power. Oh, let's use the incantation that Paul is using. I want that power. Remember uh, the individual who wanted to buy the power of Peter. 
Okay, same thing. I see that these people are doing remarkable things. Let me have that power that you have. We need to be really careful to not use God for our power. And I mentioned this really in a political context. There are people who drag out Jesus and drag out the Bible and drag out the church to promote a political agenda. Okay? Happens on the left and it happens on the right. The invocation of the name of Jesus to kind of turbocharge some kind of political something that I'm after. Some kind of power play that I want. I want to be in power. I want to be elected. Let me, let me name the name of Jesus. Okay, we want to be really, really careful about that kind of thing. Here's the thing about uh, Jesus's kingdom. Jesus's kingdom is not of this world. Anyone who's building anything in this world is not building the kingdom of God because Jesus is very clear. My kingdom is not of this world. All right. There are good things that we can do in this world. We could alleviate suffering. We could work on mental illness. We could feed the poor. But the kingdom of God is beyond this world. The kingdom of God is going to be realized in the new heavens and the new earth. And the only transit from here to there is by a saving relationship to Jesus Christ. And so if I subordinate Jesus to my political agenda, rather than recognizing that Jesus is the king and I serve him, then I also subvert the gospel. Because the gospel is the message that, hey, if I get down on my knees and recognize Jesus as the king, I can have a renewed and reestablished relationship with God the Father. This whole world can burn up and go away, and it will one day. You can do all you want to shine up this world and make it better. This world is passing away. But what you want to make sure is that you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ by faith uh, a saving relationship with the Father by faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, and we are not going to subordinate uh, Jesus to to our politics. There was an, a, a fascinating article that was published uh, in Atlantic Monthly uh, a couple months ago. It's by a fella named Sh- uh, Shadi Hamid. So he's a Muslim. And an American, an American Muslim, and uh, the article is titled, America Without God. America Without God. So we're entering this new kind of chapter in our history uh, where the number of people who are out of the closet atheists is climbing. Okay, more and more people are comfortable uh, not claiming uh, any, any faith at all, and What's happened simultaneously with that uh, rise of atheism in this country is, is that our politics has become more intense and, uh, frankly, a little bit crazy. Let me read a couple lines from this article, and I would commend it to you. Uh, you can find it on the Internet. American faith it turns out, is as fervent as ever. It's just that what was once religious belief has now been channeled into political belief. Political debates over what America is supposed to mean have taken on the character of theological disputations. This is what religion without what religion without religion looks like. I'd like to warn us about this. 
Okay? That our politics, we're not, we're not winning one for Christ in our politics. Okay? All of our political interests, whether we're left or right, are way subordinate. Okay? God gives us government as part of God's common grace. We want the trash picked up. We want the fires put out. We want the borders protected. But all of that is subordinate to the transcendent and eternal message that God is offering us in Jesus Christ. Okay? And if we live in a world without a God, then what's left? All that is left is politics. And that's why godless people raise politics to such a pitch, to such a frenzy, because there's nothing up. I mean, politics is all about organizing human society for human well-being. All right, And if there's nothing transcendent, if there's nothing after this life, if there's nothing bigger than this world, then politics is your biggest thing. Politics is your religion. Beware of people who make politics their religion. The sons of Sceva thought that they could put Jesus or the name of Jesus in their employ. Be careful. Be warned against politicians who will use the name of Jesus in their employ to promote their uh, political agenda. Now, in verse 17, I want to draw your attention to this. All of the people in Ephesus, Jews and Greeks, learned about uh, this episode They were filled with fear and gave great honor to the Lord Jesus. Many of the believers began to confess, telling about all the evil things they had done. Some of them had used magic. Okay? And then they burn all of these magic books, 50,000 silver pieces worth. Okay? We're assuming that each one of those silver pieces is a day's wage. So I don't know how much you make in a day, but multiply that by 50,000. That's how much was destroyed. They had these little magic books and they were, they were, the, the magic books were mostly little incantations, things that were able to do certain things for you. You want to find your lost keys? Say this little prayer. You want, you, you want, you want to take care of uh, this health problem? Say this little prayer. You want to have prosperity and fertility? You say this little prayer. This is a magical approach to religion. All right. Our God is a God who has made everything for his glory. He's not to be used by us. He's to be worshipped. Our God has made everything for his glory. Our very uh, planet that we're on exists for God's glory. Our life exists for God's glory. Let me read you a couple of passages before we close here uh, from the Old Testament and the New Testament that talk about God's glory as being the end and the purpose of all things rather than human power or human politics. Here's a promise that God makes to Israel. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands. Let me pause there. So here's a promise that that the people of Israel, they're going to be good people. That's a good thing. That they're going to have the land secure. That's a good thing. But here's the reason why. That I might be glorified. The only reason God wants a righteous Israel, the only reason God wants a secure Israel is that God might be glorified. It's not about Israel. It's not about the people. It's about God. Here's another uh, messianic promise. This is a a passage that we often read uh, during the Advent season. 
The Spirit of the Lord will be upon the Messiah to grant those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Okay, that's all good. Blessings for those people. They're going to be righteous. They're going to be secure. But here's the reason why. That he, God, might be glorified. Every good thing for us needs to redound to the glory of God. And then let me jump to the New Testament. To the letter that Paul actually then later writes to these same people at Ephesus. Paul writes, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And here's the reason why. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Your salvation is not about you. Your salvation is about the glory of God. The creation of the church is not about the church and how wonderful the church can be. And oh, we get to have this building and have this lovely music. The church exists to bring glory to God. Israel exists to bring glory to God. All of the heavens are here to bring glory to God. Hmm, May that be our life and may that be our future. Let us pray. Father God, we love you and we adore you. Lord, I pray that you would keep our eyes on you and on your glory. And I I pray that you would uh, dampen down in our spirit the desire to serve ourselves and to serve our agendas. Lord, I pray that we would never use your name as though it were some magic spell to do what it is that we want done. Lord, I pray that we would live to your glory. I pray that we would speak to your glory. I pray that the uh, uh, attitudes of our heart would bring you glory because you alone are worthy, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost.